up, guys? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. Part two. I've been loving this as a coffee mug. Oh yeah. Sorry to disappoint. There is in fact coffee and not alcohol in here, but oh, boo. Oh, it's um it's a day recording. It's a day recording. So Sarah's drinking champagne. <laughs> I'm about to get on that level after I'm done running my errands. Yes. Well, you know, it's Saturday. I've been working hard. I've been hardly working. Sorry that. <laughs> the first part came out late hopefully the second part isn't coming out too late um my computer decided to shame me for being depressed so it took a while to (laughs) it was like being slow and it didn't let me edit in a timely manner and I can't I can't edit under those conditions so I had to like re-download everything into a different hard drive to give that hard drive space it was a whole process anywho so Part two. <laughs> part two. Any hoobies whatsoever. Part two of left us off at quite the cliff. Yes. Uh, so I haven't exactly given away who the serial killer is that we're talking about. Uh, Kristen knows who it is. I think she just hasn't like said it. Um, I may have mentioned it last time, maybe. but definitely the railroad where railroads were the biggest hit yes so um i will be getting more into that obviously here in part two uh in part one i talked about homicide cases throughout several states in the u.s such as texas kentucky illinois um and all of these homicide cases ended up being connected to each other by fingerprints and DNA, which actually pointed to a man named Angel or Angel Resendez. Uh, I also talked a little bit about Angel on how he was from Mexico. He had this little hobby or knack of crossing the border illegally into the U.S. and killing people, specifically killing people who lived near railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. Uh, not only killing people who lived near railroad tracks, but using the railroad tracks to travel and escape. So in part two today, I will be discussing Angel's downfall, which involves uh, more murders, more homicides. No, we're not His... fucking done. <laughs> no, man. God damn it. <laughs> I... Oh, I thought we were. Mm-mm. Uh, We'll talk about his capture and a little bit about his trial and stuff. So when we left off on part one, I believe I was talking about how Angel Resendez had just been announced as being on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. And there was nationwide panic and attention to this dude. Um, People were just like freaking out. Damn. We... You know, we I think we had just realized we had a serial killer on our hands. So a serial killer on the loose would create panic regardless, not to mention the media attention that this got as, you know, a lot of big cases and serial killers, but media attention just fuels 
panic within the public, as we all know. So um, those who lived near train tracks, especially were super freaked out uh, that, you know, there were families who in the show I watched, this lady talked about how her husband would leave for work in the morning and her and her children would go like to her parents' house and not come home until her husband came home from work because they live near train tracks. Yeah, that's fucked up. But the fact that you probably multiple people felt that they had to go that far in order to stay safe. Yeah. And you know, it's the late nineties, not everyone's locking their doors all the time. So people started deadbolting their doors, going the extra mile. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot. And then I danger. (laughs) Yeah. And it seemed like Angel was always one step ahead. Although he had a low education level, uh, as I mentioned in part one, it was about that as of a seventh grader. He did have some brains, I guess. And we also talked about that um, stuff he read about the low IQ level associating with, you know, just different mindset, different thinking on if you're going to commit a crime, how to commit it, maybe how to get away, all of that stuff. But mm-hmm. he he kind of like did the damn thing, not to give him any credit. Mm-mm. But what's interesting is that after Angel was announced as an FBI's top 10 most wanted, after he had captured all of this news media attention, Angel would end up getting captured by the Immigration and Naturalization Services on June 1st, 1999, but he was allowed to return back to Mexico the following day. I don't know if he, if they knew who he was, maybe as he liked to do, he gave an alias and so it appeared as if this dude just wasn't in the system or something. I like really hope that it's that because if you're telling me that we just willy-nilly let this serial killer that we know go like yeah because at this time authorities are searching for him they have an identification um I'm just I'm surprised probably, that the border didn't know anything well, about it. Well, I was it. about That's to say, I'm, I'm like almost certain the U.S. Customs had to be aware. So I'm not sure. Like, what the fuck was going on right there? There yeah. has not, there was, in my fraud examination class, there was actually a girl mm. that was talking about how whenever she travels with her dad, her dad has the same name as this guy who's like, on the wanted list and whenever they make flights they have to she like make sure that they have extra time because they always get stopped and he always get has flagged, to prove yeah. yeah like I lived on this street as a kid like I'm not this dude so it's just show it's shocking to hear something like that and then hear something like this granted mm-hmm. it's like 30 years in the future right. but at the same like that just there's no way that customs didn't get one of the first calls when he got put on this list because obviously we know that he loves to go in and out of the border so like best place to hide is fucking Mexico like oh 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 he was right right there and you're about to tell me about more murders that just pisses me off okay sorry yes ma'am rant done (laughs) because guess what Two days later, 
two days after he was captured and then released by the immigration and naturalization services and six months into this search and kind of manhunt for angel about six months after they at least realized his identification i guess yeah on june 4th 1999 angel broke into the houston texas apartment that belonged to noami dominguez Noemi was a 26-year-old school teacher. Angel raped her, used Noemi's own pickaxe to murder her, and her car was also stolen, later found abandoned in Del Rio, Texas. Mm. On this same day, 90 miles away in Fayette County, the same pickaxe was used to murder 73-year-old Josephine Convica. Convica. Uh, this happened in her home, a rural farmhouse. When this murder weapon was tested, the pickaxe, it obviously not only had Angel's DNA on it, not only Josephine's, but it still had Noami's blood on it as well, her DNA. And he's fucking escalating now. He's like not really, you know, when we look at serial killers, the whole reason why they're called serial killers is how many people they kill with time in between, whatever. But then when you look in deeper, you can see the kind of mind state of mind a killer is in or a serial killer is in when their murders happen so close together (laughs) they don't have a rough period yeah their cool off period gets interrupted or shortened it it really provides you insight on um their state of mind kind of and so uh you could kind of tell that this by this information that angel was maybe uneasy like I'm not a forensic psychiatrist or psychiatrist at all but I have had some schooling in such topics um you know his behavior is more erratic and that can be a reflection on his attitude behaviors mindset so yeah anyways there were also remnants of partially eaten fruit in Josephine's kitchen and deal with that I know what was a little different about Josephine was that her body was placed in more of a peaceful position in her bed um I mean it's obviously not peaceful really if you got murdered but a lot of Angel's victims were found on the floor covered with a blanket like however it was very brutal But it seemed as if Josephine was just like just laying there more peacefully. Do you know if if that helps any? (laughs) Do you know if she was sexually assaulted? It doesn't say she was. I don't think. No, that has something. I get. It has something to say. Maybe if she was put in a more peaceful position and probably not sexually assaulted, that. I don't know. Just viewed differently. I don't know. Yeah, it was different than the other victims. Maybe he like could have related her to someone in his life or something. Yeah. Josephine also had a train set in one of her guest bedroom closets that her grandchildren would play with whenever they would come visit. 
and it had been taken out of the closet and placed on the bed as if someone was like playing with it and this is the part that really is just like ew on her living room couch a newspaper was on her couch and in the show I watched they made it seem I don't know if it was for dramatics or if it really was like propped up on the couch like sitting up but basically it was almost displayed on an article that was talking about this serial killer on the loose so it was almost a statement as if like Mm. who I was here yeah that is a bit of ego type of yeah it's like it's always they're looking for me yeah I was I think it's always funny how when it comes to serial killers like their ego will be their downfall always a thousand percent of the time it's like that need to feel seen it's Mm -hmm. like please please do that so we can like damn they still haven't catch me caught me yet I know it's (laughs) like well that's probably I think that's where he you're starting to see a switch where he's becoming very much like a typical serial killer where he's starting to display the articles and he's starting to be a little bit more erratic it's like that very last minute where he's probably thinking that he is at some point going to get caught he's just now trying to make the most out of whatever time he is assuming that he has left right and so um because obviously at this point angel probably knows that they're looking for him he has to know there were news i would hope that he could read yeah right (laughs) And who knows, maybe he didn't read that well in English. Yeah. Um, I didn't get much on his fluence of languages in the American English, American English or Spanish. He's from Mexico. He speaks Spanish. I don't know how well he spoke or understood English. But if you see a picture of yourself and your name, like on a newspaper, you're going to kind of put two and two like kind of know what it's about yeah (laughs) and you've been like (laughs) killing a lot of people probably mama I made it just kidding (laughs) there were newspaper reports that authorities or investigators were searching for a quote-unquote Mexican drifter named Angel Angel Resendez so obviously the immediate the (laughs) immediate the media attention did not stop Angel or his killings immediately at least police actually thought they had angel in the palm of their hands when they got a tip on a sighting of him a railroad worker uh, from the flatonia texas railroad called in and made a tip and was like yo i just saw this guy so this tip was taken three thousand percent seriously and the whole squad went out to like yeah. fucking go find him. Oh my god, this is like the climax of the fucking movie. Right. So by the time all the agencies, all the force got there, you know, squads, he was gone. And the fact that they felt like they, you know, authorities almost got him, but then lost him just kind of fueled the manhunt I I believe on this same day because they already had everyone out there 
they started to just expand the search a little bit and they started stopping trains and searching train cars. Yeah. Uh, the whole, not the whole country, but the states especially that were affected by crimes that Angel committed, that, you know, those states were being combed. But searching trains, stopping trains to search trains is like it takes a tremendous undertaking it takes a lot of effort manpower it's time consuming which means it's money consuming Mm -hmm. and so they like didn't get too far with that um and actually eight days after this sighting of angel was reported he strikes again i think that's what's I'm not a railroad expert, so I don't know <laughs> like the how railroads in particular work or like how the routes work. But a killer by railroad is one of the scariest things because like you had just said of one of his, his like previous murders, he murders one day and then he's 70 miles away in another town and can strike again in the same fucking day. So it's like, it's not even enough to have all like your state troopers if you don't have the right town in that state aware of like what you need to be looking out for and then it's like how would you even know oh well he got on this train so that means he's gonna make a potential stop at this place it's like well and he's illegally hopping trains he's he's not like buying a ticket and boarding the the train yeah (laughs) and it's just like i oh it scares me car hopping yeah yeah i think that's what's so fucking chilling about this case is like even if you would through a fine tooth comb go through it's probably still not enough because he is able to switch and there is no set path for him to go on like he can make as many twists and turns as he wants and he can be in multiple towns in one day and that's so fucking scary for a guy with his mentality like right and he's always able to just go back to Mexico and then come back and go back and forth and and then never know where he's gonna be as soon as he's done, you don't even need to, as soon as he's done, just hops back on the train. Doesn't even. He's already to, like miles away. Like, yeah. Before the cops even are able to make it to the house, he's out in another town. Like fucking yeah. scary, bro. Scary. I would hate to be fucking train hopping during that time. Could you imagine like he just hops on the train? And you're like, well, I'm just fucking, I'm just trying to be homeless, man. Yeah. Like, let me be. Let me be, bro. Oh, I'd be fucking terrified. I would not train hop during that time. If I was a train hopper, I'd stop. Right? I didn't even mention how they must have felt. The fellow vagabonds and homeless community that also traveled by freight freight car. They probably were fucking shook as well. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) So eight days after... Uh, this reported sighting of Angel, he traveled to Gorham, Illinois, and broke into the home of 80-year-old George Morber. His home was located about 100 yards from the railroad tracks. George had apparently gone out to check the mail, and when he returned, Angel had entered his home and overpowered George. Angel bound George and shot him with a shotgun. Um, you know, and I didn't write this down, but I think maybe from the court records or something else I read last minute, I think he was maybe bound to the chair and 
a, a chair and it was like it was brutal it wasn't yeah. just simply bounding him and shooting him like it was probably more involved but shortly after this George's daughter Carolyn Frederick came by her father's house to like visit her visit him check in on him when uh she you know was met with the unexpecting angel he beats her to death with the same shotgun that he used to shoot her father he beat carolyn so hard with the shotgun that it like snapped in half a shotgun yeah i'm so i don't know if like he just didn't know where any more bullets were that's just he just wanted to be violent oh my god yeah he doesn't care so oh my god and he's fucking five two he's five two and he's able to overpower all of his victims oh that is terrible like oh and when you see photos of him like he's he's not like a bodybuilder <laughs> no he's like very much like slim frame it's oh it's fucking it's you like don't ever underestimate anybody that's it's I fucking get so paranoid people think I'm fucking crazy even if you were going to get the mail even if you are walking out of your door for a less than a minute if you're going to turn around fucking walk it walk yeah. it um that is oh my god so many oh oh fucking terrifying oh my god poor daughter poor everyone but it's just oh my god to come walk in onto a scene like that oh my god I apparently um I didn't add this in either I also read it kind of last minute and I hadn't really seen it in any other source I think that's why I didn't add it in but I'll mention it is that I did read that Carolyn's husband made the discovery of his wife and her father um I think I don't know if that's true but just you know that adds another layer of devastation so dude why not oh my god leaving devastation in his fucking wake I have that it to break a shotgun I don't even want to think of the strength that that took that is a very like I don't it just makes my body go cold that is very heavy metal like he didn't just hit her once or twice and kill her he he bludgeoned overkill overkill angel left his prints all over the home and stole george's truck to make his way back to mexico and that was kind of his last string of murders uh so as we know angel was a wanted man he was featured on an episode of america's most wanted and angel's sister manuela who was living in new mexico at the time saw her brother on tv and uh you know saw she may have already known he was a wanted man from him being posted on the FBI's list, yeah. but I don't know if seeing him on TV was, I don't know if that was the first time she found out about it or not, because like I said, she's living in, in New Mexico and 
So a lot of her family is probably back in Mexico. And so I don't know how much she knew about the situation, but apparently after seeing him featured on this episode, she like wanted to help. Good for her. Although, yeah, she wasn't really close with Angel. They hadn't talked in a while, like a few years at least, but she just like knew she had to do something. So Angel's family in Mexico were also growing really fearful for their own lives. Obviously for the safety is Angel too, but they were feared that they would face possible repercussions or retaliation from not only the authorities that were searching for Angel, but there was a $125,000 reward Mm. for his capture or information leading to his capture. So there was like, word out that there were bounty hunters and vigilantes in the streets of Mexico and everywhere looking for Angel. So his family didn't want to be like affected by this attack, you know? Um, The fucking dog, the bounty hunters showing up at your fucking front door. Oh no. Because these bounty hunters, these vigilantes, they don't care whether they bring Angel in dead or alive. No. They don't they know they they can like (laughs) They walk do. into the family's home and force out information who knows yeah they do things a little differently sometimes not all the way legally so right because of these fears angel's family specifically manuela though um made contact with the fbi and or the texas rangers because the texas rangers were heavily involved And they actually worked very closely together behind the scenes, sort of, for a smooth and peaceful capture. Hell yeah, Manuela. Hell yeah. And I'm not sure how much Angel's wife, because I mentioned her in part one, right? Yeah. Okay. Somehow. I I really can't believe that some people are able to get fucking married and then there's I know. (laughs) Um, And I'm about to get into what her thoughts on it is so I'm not sure how much Angel's wife who as I probably mentioned lived in Mexico was Mm -hmm. involved with working with authorities but she was eventually contacted by um like I say who knows FBI Texas Rangers authorities and she was cooperative and at least speaking with them or whatever they needed she was cooperative Uh, I don't think she could give them that much, though, because she lived in Mexico. Angel was traveling all the time. Probably, like, not the best husband, (laughs) I imagine. She she shared how she basically was shocked that Angel was a suspected serial killer. Really? She had always been pleased with him as a husband. But basically, she was like over everything she was just happy that he gave her a daughter like they had a daughter together and so she also shared that he traveled a lot I don't know if she knew why he traveled if it was quote unquote for work because he would hop trains looking for seasonal undocumented work yeah 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 yeah. he did um so I that my assumption is that he told her he would be traveling for seasonal work and so uh, 
she also shared that apparently he would bring home trinkets when he oh. would visit back home and i'm like okay so the jewelry the fucking he stole, from like, his victims the co- oh. <laughs> yeah oh. Oh. i i just don't um I can barely lead a normal life. I don't really get how serial killers can lead this fucking double life. Like, how does his violence not go into the his right. family life? It's very odd when, because typically it blends. So when it doesn't and you have a wife saying like, oh, I really could have never, just like, whoa. I just literally think he was never home. Yeah. Like yeah. ever. And she, she didn't just seem didn't too bothered by it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, and that's why All I'm she like, cared bro. about was her daughter basically exactly yeah. so i'm like how you it, it couldn't have been happy all the time like she didn't were see the signs because she wasn't was looking gone. for them yeah <laughs> she was just i have my kid i got what i wanted out of this relationship deuces yeah i mean hey good for her hey. she she was probably able to move on real easily after that yeah. <laughs> not very traumatized it seems <laughs> like well darn <laughs> on to the next husband mm. manuela ended up actually working super closely with texas ranger drew carter she told him um you know after watching that segment on tv she contacted who she needed to contact and Ranger Carter is who she ended up ultimately working with. And so she told him, you know, I saw this on TV. Who's my brother? I haven't talked to Angel in some time, but I think I can help. Mm-hmm. Manuela and Angel end up speaking because, you know, Ranger Carter's like, oh, well, do you think you can get in contact with him? Do you think you can talk to him about anything? Like, and so she's like, yeah, I I think I can try. So Manuela and Angel end up speaking and she reports back to Ranger Carter um, that she basically got the impression that Angel was tired of running and in response to this, Ranger Carter asks if if basically Angel would be willing to surrender and turn himself in. Manuela was like, well, I don't know, but give me a few days and I'll find out. Hmm. So a few days later, I don't know exactly how many, but Manuela does successfully encourage her brother Angel to surrender. And I, I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, but if it is good for her that she was awarded Eighty-six thousand dollars out of the uh, oh, reward yeah. for her efforts. So I would definitely. She deserves a nice tip. I would give her the full reward. I mean, <laughs> right. she I'm like, I don't know what happened to the rest, but I know. I'm like, uh, so where's the rest of my money? But to because especially with the brutality of the cases that you've mentioned, just his behavior in general, to have this case end so neatly is honestly shocking and it ends very neatly which yeah. i'm about to get into obviously so like uh, yeah, it's give weird her, give her the full fucking amount because she just saved you probably a few more lives like, yeah um because a great i don't know with a lot of serial killers we see patterns that line up and the you know that like fit perfectly into mcdonald's triad mm-hmm. with this case we don't know 
enough information to be like, oh, he wet his bed as a kid or he mutilated animals or whatever. But there are also different facts to it that are interesting that don't compare to a lot of other serial killer cases in in his methods and in how he got ultimately apprehended. So Yeah, it's it's very do not know the stats, but I know it's low enough that you really don't get a lot of serial killers that will go for any type. A lot of times it's rooted in whatever trauma they experienced as a right. childhood, like whatever your mom or your dad or whoever it it's was a that certain you're physical about. look or appearance. Yeah. And in this case, it's you live Whoever. near a train track, Men, you're old, you're young, women, don't care. Yeah. And it's like, some would be sexually assaulted, some wouldn't. Right. It's very, it, it's just hard to wrap your brain around. I mean, obviously we know that he was attacked at a young age. And so there is some trauma in his life that we can maybe pinpoint and say, okay, well, maybe around this time is when we start to see the shift into becoming something more violent. But it, it's always the random, the brutality of it. You do not see that in every killer. And right. that's well, what is particularly scary about this guy. He and he's was fucking 5'2". Yeah. He was apparently sexually assaulted as a young teenager by a group of older teenage boys. Mm-hmm. And so if that had, I'm not saying it doesn't have any part that kind of trauma but if this this piece of trauma played any major part in the crimes he's carrying out at this point I don't see it because I mean they have a play to part it's a it's violence that plays on violence but he's not going for like male victims yeah so it's um and I'll get into what his motive is in a little bit, clearly, but oh, he gives it, you it, it, oh yeah, and oh. it's it's not anything what you'd expect. I don't mm-hmm. I mean, it's not what I expected, so so as Angel kind of was encouraged by Manuela to surrender, he gave one catch. Manuela told Ranger Carter that. If Angel were to surrender, it had to be only if Ranger Carter was the one that Angel was surrendering to. Mm. I think just because Manuela had been, you know, working with Ranger Carter and I guess Angel knew this and trusted Ranger Carter. I don't know why that was the one catch, but that's what my guess is, is that he just like trusted him. Yeah, he wouldn't because like get his fucking sisters. yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't get a neck to his foot while he's getting right. arrested. He like at least knew or what to expect, to kind neck. of. <laughs> yeah. So the surrender was arranged on July thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Angel Resendez walked over a bridge at a border crossing in El Paso, Texas, and surrendered to Ranger Drew Carter. Um, Ranger Drew Carter actually was featured in the show I watched and it was really cool to kind of see him talk about his experience mm-hmm. just he's really respectful and he you know is in the Texas Ranger outfit <laughs> he's like, pretty cool <laughs> and he just describes how he saw this truck pull up and he sees like this man driving and then he sees this like smaller silhouette of a person in the passenger seat and he was like he just knew that was Angel <laughs> 
just by the just by the high yeah. alone. <laughs> and by uh I think Ranger Carter's account and the show's account because he was in the show mm-hmm. um Angel just came to do the surrender with one of his brothers which is probably the person he arrived in the truck with but I also read information from sources that he was with two of his brothers his sister and a pastor oh damn yeah so I think it was probably just a brother but angel walks over to the bridge ranger carter shakes angel's hand and introduces himself then handcuffs angel and takes him into custody that's all it took angel ended up only going to trial for the murder of dr claudia benton um which happened in the spring of 2000 the trial sorry not the murder yeah uh just because this is basically the homicide that had the strongest evidence the strongest case against angel uh the strongest possibility for the harshest punishment Mm -hmm. so that's the um, one thing that fucking sucks with serial killers and I know. kind of like the justice system in general is, uh, I know we were talking about it last episode, but it was not while we were recording, but very much it's not really a matter of the case, but which case will give you the most evidence that you can present to give you like the most definitive, like, yes, he did because it. Because you have to look at what will uphold in court. But even if you have evidence and information and testimonies, what will actually uphold? What will convince the jury? So Dr. Claudia's case was the strongest to uphold in court. Um, Although evidence and testimonies, I think from his, maybe not testimonies, but evidence from his other crimes were able to be introduced in his trial as Mm. evidence or character prosecution or you know so I didn't get too much information on you know what kind of went down at trial and what really happened other than um Holly Dunn did testify and recounted her attack in detail and I mentioned her case in part one she ended up being the only survivor of of angel so she described her attack in detail while she testified as well as identifying angel as her attacker angel resendez pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity he claimed that he was an avenging angel sent by god to punish those that he thought were evil quote-unquote evil and deserved to die okay yeah no I did not see that coming he apparently spoke frequently of the archangel Michael and this was the angel who apparently was speaking to him and I'm like is it because their name is angel right he's just <laughs> is like, that where what? you got this from he's um, like what is the easiest excuse that I can come up with or like maybe he really did believe he was an angel because his name's angel like I mean like maybe maybe the mental illness would explain the kind of randomness in the killings because I really just can't see a sane person doing that but Mm. at the same time I'm not I'm just not 
buying it. Yeah. Well, he was never, I, I assume, um, like I said, I didn't get many details on his trial, but I assume he got assessed for, because his plea would be for insanity. I assume he got assessed by everyone he needed to be assessed by. And, um, because he ended up being charged and sentenced, which I'll get into, they that most likely says that he was competent and not insane so i understand why we have that charge there for you know our mentally ill killers but at the same fucking time i can't fucking stand the first thing that someone does when they kill someone oh i was mentally ill i'm like shut the fuck up you're making us mentally ill people look fucking bad you're you're wasting people's time you're wasting resources you're wasting resources money time people's like, fucking effort you're like, looking like a fucking fool while you you're taking it. away from the your case oh. and trial on shit that could actually be getting done Ugh. yeah needless to say the jury was unmoved <laughs> and mm-hmm. found angel guilty of capital murder in the case of dr claudia benton And he was at a later date sentenced to death. You know, they later had a sentencing hearing. So he was sentenced to death. Sorry. To this, Angel's lead appeals lawyer argued that his client, Angel, who described himself as half man, half angel, told psychiatrists he couldn't be executed because he didn't believe he could die. (laughs) Any arguments or appeals for Raphael's, uh, sorry, Angel's punishment were rejected um, just because there were arguments that were in opposed to Angel's sentencing. Mexico is actually against capital punishment. And so because he was a Mexican national, they had their opinions were taken into account for Mm. his case. Um, so it seemed from what I read was that the, uh, so the Mexico foreign relations department, they actually protested his execution just because Mexico, like I said, doesn't believe in that, but this was all denied any arguments, any appeals denied. Mm -hmm. There was also an appeal made in 2003 because, so Angel went to trial and got sentenced starting at the year 2000 mark. I don't know when his sentencing date was because it was obviously later, but there was an appeal made in 2003 where the appellant, aka Angel, claimed there was insufficient evidence to support the jury's finding that he's a threat to society (laughs) i'm like bro at some point we shouldn't even let people be allowed to put in that fucking appeal because i'm sorry did your lawyer like excuse me i need to go find the actual audacity that this fucking man has i will be back never like excuse me you drop this your audacity take it back Within the same appeal hearing in 2003, because you can, you know, come to your appeal hearing with however many issues you want to talk about that you believe is the reason why you should be let out, whatever. He had several other, they're called point of errors. 
that he tried to appeal with but yeah no the u.s said to death row we go so i'm okay with Uh, that this time (laughs) just this time angel arrived on death row in around 2000 after his trial and he was executed in 2006 shortly before his execution though Angel actually confessed to other murders in addition to the ones that were known. The known, like, nine, I think. And these were known at the time of the trial. So now, at the time of his execution, he, were, he was now linked to 15 murders throughout six states in the U.S. And this Texas, bitch tried to fucking appeal. Yeah. Texas, Kentucky, Georgia, Illinois, Florida, and California. Dude, he's fucking yeah. scratching off the states as he goes. Oh, what the yeah. Fuck? And so these, you know, the ones that he confessed with too were like the ones I mentioned more when I was talking about uh, Raphael's or Angel, sorry, his biography, like how his earlier murders where he killed like the two homeless the three homeless people Mm -hmm. like all those i he he confesses later so on june 27th 2006 the state of texas was set to execute angel resendez by lethal injection his execution was delayed about 58 minutes because Mm -hmm. the u.s supreme court was deliberating super last minute about issues surrounding his case such as like what the inhumaneness or humaneness of lethal injection just i think because he was from mexico and mexico was against it i was about to say i just did a case in 2004 where we injected a man no problem and he didn't even potentially do it Yeah, it's, I think it's only because Mexico's because against it. So I mean, I, I respect that they definitely took that into account because right. that's something that I didn't, I wouldn't even think of, but right. I, I and I like think they, they really were. So, um, but another issue was that they were kind of considering Angel's competency in order to be executed. Mm-hmm. Um, but Literally, like, a week before his execution, Angel was declared competent. So, I don't know. Anyways, their last-minute deliberation ended up in (laughs) the execution of Angel. So, before his education, execution, (laughs) Angel gave a, a little head nod to those in attendance and proceeded to apologize for his crimes and ask for forgiveness from the victim's family, victim's family members, Mm -hmm. um, because there were multiple in attendance. He said in a quiet voice, I want to ask if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life. I just ask you to forgive me and ask the Lord to forgive me for allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank God for having patience with me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You did not deserve this. I deserve what I am getting. After thanking God, Angel's final final words were prayers that he muttered in both Hebrew and Spanish because he claimed to be Hebrew. And then at 7.58 p.m., 
lethal drugs were administered to Angel Matrino Resendez, aged 46, and who was declared dead seven minutes later. Claudia Benton's husband, George, was at the execution, and he said, what was executed today may have looked like a man, walked and talked like a man, but what was contained inside that skin was not human being, a human being. This is not human behavior, but something I can only say is evil contained in human form. A creature without a soul, no conscious, no sense of remorse, no regard for the sanctity of human life. In addition to George Benton, Josephine Convicca's son, Karen Cernick's brother, George Merber's grandson, and Carolyn Frederick's son were all in attendance at the execution. Angel's mother, brother, and sister were also present. And I did read that Angel got to visit with his daughter before, like right before his execution for a little bit, which was really nice. Um, Obviously, she wasn't there for the execution, but I didn't read that his wife was there either. So I don't know if she like just brought her daughter to visit and left or if she was there. I'm not sure if it even matters, but and just a fun fact, just because I'm interested in last words and last meals sometimes, um, Angel declined a last meal. So in closing, you know. Angel's reliance on railroads along with his crimes near them got him the nickname of the railroad killer. And so I don't know, I may have said it a few times throughout the story without realizing it, but his he has been dubbed the railroad killer for this reason. He left literal breadcrumbs due to his clues that he left behind. You know, we see in the beginning, it's mostly partially eaten fruit, burglary, stolen vehicles. Um, In the show I watched, one of the investigators described some of this behavior as a need for intimacy, which was shown by how he spent so much time in the homes of the people he murdered after the fact, which is not usually common when people commit murder or homicide, like they do it and usually immediately start cleaning up or leaving or whatever. So this suggests for him to be possibly wanting to get to know his victims a little more after he kills them and him wanting to establish a feeling or a reason for what he has done. And this was said because of him laying out the victim's IDs. Yeah. He's he's almost, it's almost as if he was like studying this person who they were along with rummaging through their belongings and whatever. Um, This not only shows a need for intimacy, but a certain like I am in control here kind of factor or like like I mentioned earlier with the newspaper and I was here type of thing you yeah. asserting his fucking dominance asserting it's his presence marking least, his Jesus. territory man it's very much like basic primal that like ew. yeah yeah Angel's identity was eventually put together from his prints and DNA left at several or all of the crime scenes where he had committed the homicides. 
But Claudia, Dr. Claudia Benton's case was the one that ultimately blew the doors wide open and connected his DNA to other cases. Mm-hmm. And his uh, identification from his DNA blew the door wide open for his ultimate surrender and conviction. So Angel Maturino Resendez was tied to about 15 homicides in the United States and around seven homicides in Mexico. Uh, an unknown number of homicides or victims, you know, is very likely. So, and just to finish it off, I will just close out on mentioning the victims names again, just because we were broken into two parts. Um, and again, sometimes how it, a lot of times is, is I have more information on some victims than others. So I'm, I'm at least saying what I can, at least their names and stuff. So in 1986, an unidentified homeless woman who Angel had met and killed (laughs) was estimated to be between the ages of 18 and 25 she was, her body was discovered like months after she was killed. So, and she had no identification. Mm-hmm. She was about five feet, 10 inches tall at the time of her death. And as well as her age, 18 to 25. And some, for some reason, the fact that she's apparently from Florida was added to that. So I don't know how they know that oh. and they don't know who she is, but yeah. just in case anyone ever knows of a missing unidentified woman. Was she found in Florida? No. Well, that's weird. Maybe um, she was found. In- I can't remember. I think maybe I she know. was found in San Antonio because I, I remember talking about her in part one. And I think she's a she- Florida woman. Yeah, I think this was the one that I mentioned he killed in San Antonio. Wow. Um, and I don't know how they know she's from Florida. So yeah, I'm just like, random. I thought it would be good to add just in case anyone listening has ever heard of a missing and murdered homeless woman from that area who's in between 18 and 25 and 5 10 feet tall so july 1991 33 year old michael white was found in the front yard of a home in san antonio texas Angel actually confessed to this murder and to the shooting of Michael later in 2001 when he was already arrested. Um, Although he admitted or confessed to this crime in 2001, the details of this crime and of what he confessed weren't confirmed until the year Angel was executed in 2006. March 1997, 16-year-old runaway from Woodstock, Illinois, Wendy Von Huben, was declared a victim of Angel's after he had given details of her murder and also revealed the location of her remains to authorities, and this was also after he had been arrested in 2000. What authorities would also kind of connect from this was that Angel, or, you know, he probably confessed, but he, uh, Angel also killed Wendy's travel buddy, maybe boyfriend. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 19 year old Jesse Howell. He was found slain near railroad tracks in Bellevue, Florida, eight Dude. hours before Wendy's attack occurred. Yeah, they were fucking railroad hopping. 
yeah that's oh dude yeah that's what i'm fucking saying man even the home like dude i would hate yeah. to be a fucking railroad hopper that is like the worst time to be one yeah shit yeah. i remember that case i didn't mention this murder at all just because um there's not much known about it and i literally found it just in last minute research but in july 1997 an unidentified man was found in a California rail rail yard and he was beaten to death with a pipe. He's probably fucking railroad hopping too. August of 1997, 21 year old Chris Mayer Meyer, who was a student at university, Kentucky was walking home with his girlfriend, Holly Dunn, who, as I mentioned, was or ended up being the only survivor of the railroad killer. She witnessed the brutal beating of her boyfriend and then also survived her own brutal beating. She was seriously injured. um, And she, Holly, became a strong advocate for survivors of sexual assault and even wrote about her attack in her book, Soul Survivor, the inspiring true story of coming to face to coming to face to face with the infamous railroad killer. And I mentioned in part one as well, I think that she um, does, you know, public speaking and all that stuff for sexual assault survivors. So October, 1998, Leafy Mason, 87 years old from Hughes Springs, Texas was murdered by Angel December 1998, 81-year-old Fanny Whitney Byers, um, which I believe was the one I mentioned, who was beaten with an antique iron, which she collected. December 1998, Dr. Claudia Benton, 39 years old. She was a pediatrician, geneticist, physician, and researcher. She was a loving wife to George Benton and mother to 11-year-old female twins. She was dedicated and compassionate. Her husband, uh, within one of his testimonies or somewhere, he basically said that Claudia would have aided Angel with food, money, or advice had he simply knocked on their door and asked rather than breaking in and murdering her. May 1999, Norman and Karen Cernick. Court records that I found actually refer to Norman as Skip, um, which I guess was his nickname. And it's funny, I didn't read about that in any other article until I got the court records. And they didn't even refer to him as Norman. It was Skip. (laughs) So I just thought that was cute. So I just thought I'd include his nickname, Skip. And Skip was the pat oh sorry I was like I got lost for a second skip Norman was the pastor um and his wife who were both found deceased together June 1999 Noami Dinguez 26 year old school teacher and also same date as above and also in June 1999 Josephine Convica, I didn't put her last name here, but I think it's Convica. I remembered it right. 
She was a widow, an active church member, and was close to her family. You know, she was the one who I mentioned also, I think, had the train set in her closet for her grandkids. And finally, but not less importantly, June 1999, George Morber, who is an army vet, and his daughter, Carolyn Frederick, who left behind a husband and children. And that, my mishaps, was the railroad killer. Mm-hmm. Like, don't. Like if you're conservative you. and you hate immigrants, you're going to be like, yeah, this is why. But that is not my point here no. that his immigration status has nothing to do with this besides showing the fact that how in the nineties, it was so easy to do what he did. Um, this shit happens no matter who you are, where you're from. So yeah, evil does not fucking discriminate. This dude just happened to come from a place that was across a border, and yeah, right. do not get this fucking twisted into something that it is not. Other than a fucking true crime case that just shows the brutality that humanity can give us, unfortunately. But fuck, dude, that was mm-hmm. yeah, that's a rough one. That is definitely not an easy case to fucking handle i know i'm glad i got it over with honestly yeah yeah like oh i'm gonna be thinking about this for a while i just well just because it's some of the little things too just like the partially eaten fruit for someone who hopped trains and was almost like a vagabond you'd think you'd want to like take it with him and finish it and like little things like that i'm like the fact that he broke the shotgun i'm i will never I be know. able to look like i'll never be able to look at a shotgun and part of me is again. like how old was the shotgun what kind was it like was it antique was it or was it really just him hitting with it that hard that broke it because yeah that that was like i'm not gonna get over that yeah i'm gonna be drinking copious amounts of alcohol now because uh, <laughs> i i need to forget all the details of that case because Yay. fuck, dude well yeah thank you not thank you for doing that but <laughs> <laughs> gotta bring awareness to those victims man they're voices won't be able to be heard any other way so exactly if anything it's for the victims yep yep and their families their families are victims as well but yes yes. shit man all right well if you're looking for a brighter episode don't tune in next episode (laughs) (laughs) because i i had to stop writing it. it it got pretty bad but yeah uh Come back for the terrible <laughs> fucking content <laughs> if you if you like it. If you want to hear more, if you want to see the photos that we are allowed to post about this, you are mm. definitely allowed to follow us on all the latest and greatest at R A R W podcast. And if anyone is interested in having a certain case talked about by us i don't know why but if you want to you're totally allowed to suggest one if you literally just want to say hi if you like want to claim that number one spot we will (laughs) we don't have to say your name if you want us to we so will like we'll embarrass the shit out of you all five of our listeners will know your name it's gonna be great yeah send us an email maybe 
you don't have to someday one day at red Brown, red wine podcast <laughs> gmail.com I'm i'll do it for some red podcast on gmail.com okay bye bye i gotta go drink alcohol now <laughs>